0: Friends, this has been an amazing month for me, and I have been very blessed and challenged by the messages um, by Ruth, by myself, uh, by having some interactions with you, but we have been focusing on uh, mental health and mental awareness. Through this month of May, we've titled the series, of course, uh, God Help Me, uh, Biblical Help for Mental Health, because we've wanted to affirm that our God does call us to the greatest help we need, the help of salvation. We need a savior, Jesus is our savior, hallelujah and amen. But Jesus modeled for us a very holistic ministry and invited us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart mind, soul, and strength. So that really pretty much checks all the boxes, right? (laughs) Covers all the bases. We are to be completely devoted and God has an interest, not just in our spirits and salvation, but in our bodies, in our minds, in our emotions. Today, I get to dig into one of the most important things for any of us, for all of us, for mental health, and that is the need for rest. And we in the church get the invitation, this beautiful gift called Sabbath, Sabbath rest. And I'll let you know where this is going by the end of this service. I hope that you will take seriously, if that's the right way to phrase it, I hope you will take seriously your Sabbath, your rest in God. I'm gonna get to tell a little bit about my sabbatical and the rest that I am being gifted this summer. But let me get that started with this passage from scripture. Some of my favorite words from Jesus, I'm guessing they're about to become some of your favorite words from Jesus, because this is a great invitation. Matthew chapter 11, gonna read verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Do I have everybody's attention now? (laughs) Anybody gonna say, no, this will have no application for me. I know nothing of burdens, I know nothing of weariness. So if that's your case, you can just, you know, go drink coffee out in the lobby. But if that resonates with you at all, (laughs) I think you're gonna want to hear this invitation from Jesus. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, it's been a couple weeks since I shared that I was being gifted a sabbatical this coming summer. And after I shared that on that Sunday morning, uh, I came kind of down here from the stage and it was Wendy Cooper, apologies, she's on her sabbatical so I couldn't get her permission to tell this story. But when I had told that I'm getting a sabbatical, I came down, Wendy came right up to me and she said, I can't believe you are abandoning your church for the whole summer and just walking. No, she didn't say that at all. I was afraid she might say that. I was afraid some of you might say that or think that. But she came up to me and she said, I I mean, she literally, she like had tears in her eyes even. She embraced me. She said, I am so excited that you get a sabbatical, George. I am so excited that the leadership of this church wants you to have a sabbatical and has the kind of faith and trust in the church that it doesn't rise and fall on your shoulders, but that we can do it and get through it and we will actually be Blessed by it. Oh my goodness, when she said that, when she understood that, when she got that, it was like the weight already started coming off of my shoulders. And I knew how the church could rise up and do the work that Christ calls us to. She gave me a book the next week. She was so excited about my sabbatical, she gave me a book, this one by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I immediately recognized the title. The title comes from a story uh, and it was told in another book by John Ortberg. So a bunch of names here, but here's how the story goes. John Ortberg was kind of this rising star in the church world, mega church and writing books, getting all kinds of fame and adulation. And with that, he was sensing that he might be losing his bearings of the real call of Jesus Christ. So as he tells the story, he called his mentor Dallas Willard because apparently he could just call up Dallas Willard, which would be pretty cool, although he's passed away since this time. He called up Dallas and he said, Dallas kind of explain the situation. And he said, I feel like I'm kind of losing my bearings. Maybe I'm losing my moorings. What do I have to do to be the me that Jesus really wants me to be? It's a good question. What do I have to do to really be the kind of me that Jesus wants me to be? He said there was a long pause, a pregnant pause, so to speak. And then Dallas Willard said, you must eliminate hurry from your life. John was like, all right, check, eliminate hurry from my life. What else? (laughs) He allowed there to be a pregnant pause once again. And then he said, you must ruthlessly Eliminate hurry from your life. This is the invitation of Jesus to ruthlessly eliminate the hurry from our life so that we can actually be with God and God can be with us. Us. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say you must be in worship in a community of faith, hearing the word of God, lifting up your prayers, singing corporate songs, celebrating the sacraments. You must be in a community of worship. He didn't say you must be in a group You have to get into fellowship and and experience authentic, real Christian community with a circle of people who you know and who know you. that can really speak into your lives. You need to serve the community. You need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ sharing this good news so that all the world might know that there is life in Jesus Christ. Notice also that I just said what I am always saying and inviting you to do, that's our mission. That's every church's mission. You know, big big reveal here. I didn't come up with it. No church came up with it. We are all called to love God and to love our neighbor and to do something with this faith to make a real difference. All of that is well and good. But here's the thing that Dallas's insight points us towards that I've experienced in my life. Nobody's ever ever pushed back on our mission. Nobody's ever come to me and said, let's have a cup of coffee and said, you know, George, I've been thinking about this love of God thing and it doesn't really jive with the Bible and what the church is supposed to. No, nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever said loving people. Mm, mm, I, I, I don't see that in the scriptures joy. No, I mean, it's like all over the Bibles. Do something. You know, mm, no, no, nobody pushes back on the mission. Anybody here wanna push back on the mission? Anybody, anybody? No, no, nobody's gonna push back on the mission. What's the pushback? The pushback is simply, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. That sounds like the life that maybe I wanna live, but George, who who has time for worship? I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but there's a lot of people who aren't here who would say, I love God, but who has time? Who has time to just sing songs? Who has time to just, pray. (laughs) Who has time to be in God's Word? Who has a life like that, that you have time for those kind of things? Who has time to go and be in a group? I can't make another commitment. Every night of the week is filled and then some. I can't commit to a group of people, serve people. That sounds great. I think that could be really rewarding, but who has the time? I've got too much crammed into my life. Are you with me, friends? Are you there? Is anybody resonating with this? I know that some of us have had extraordinarily busy schedules. It's been extraordinarily difficult, but I think Dallas is on to something. I think the invitation of Jesus is on to something. We must ruthlessly eliminate the hurry from our lives if we are going to begin to experience the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us towards. It was uh, Corey Tenboom who once said this: "If the devil can't make you busy, uh, can't make you bad, he'll make you busy." This woman who experienced the evils and atrocities in World War II said, "If the devil can't make you bad, he's just going to make you busy." I like the way that uh, Carl Jung put it. Uh, And if you don't know Carl Jung, uh, you probably know the manifestation of his work in the Myers-Briggs type indicator. So if you're an INFP or ENTJ or whatever you might be, um, you can thank him for the work. So his work laid the foundation for that. He said this, simply put, he said, hurry isn't of the devil. Hurry is the devil. (laughs) So if Dallas is inviting us, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. If Cory Den Boom is saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he's gonna make you busy. If Carl Jung said, hurry is the work of the devil, maybe C. O. S. Lewis, he captured it the best whenever in the uh, screw tape letters, whenever uh, Wormwood is giving a description of the world that they would like to see So if you know that story, it's the letter of the superior demon to the lesser demons. When he was describing the world that he wants it to be, he just said, it will be a world filled with noise. A world filled with noise. I was just talking this weekend with a friend of mine named Jeddah, and he's started a uh, kind of a a ministry uh, in his life, kind of reaching out to mentor uh, people. And uh, the whole idea of it is to help people to work out their calling. So it's called called to be. I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like our mission. Connect with your calling. Thanks for stealing that Jeddah. No, again, we we, we all are borrowing from the Bible. So he is telling us a little bit about what's going on with that. And kind of unprompted, he said this about teaching people how to work. And I'll make sure I I get it right here. He said, I can't teach people how to work if they don't know how to rest. It's a great insight. He said, after a year of doing this and trying to help people, I'm realizing I can't teach people how to work if they don't know how to rest. He can't help them move to a place of working for God if they're not first experiencing the rest of God. Because experiencing the rest of God, experiencing the un hurried stillness and solitude and quiet that Jesus is inviting us to. That is what creates the space for all the things that we want to see happen, because we want to see people loving God and loving neighbor and doing things. But guess what? Love takes time. Love takes time. It's an old adage, but it's so true. How, when you're a parent, you realize this in so many ways. How do kids spell love? T I M E, right? Have you heard that one before? That is how kids know our love by giving them our time and pouring into them. Love moves slowly, love requires the investment of time. I'm sorry, hon. I love you. You're my wife. I'm committed to you. But, mm, you know, let's schedule a conversation next week for 15 minutes before work. That's when you'll know that I love you. Kids, I love you, committed to you, but I'm just too busy this week. I'm sorry, no pickleball this afternoon. I know we're gonna plan it, but it's not happening. I'm too busy. Church, I love you. Can you imagine a pastor saying this? Church, I love you, but I'm too busy. Too busy to meet with you. Too busy to pray with you. Too busy to have a coffee with you. I hope you've never heard that from me. I pray you've never heard that from me. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I want to have the time to love and to love deeply. Hurry and love do not go hand in hand. Joy and hurry. Have you ever been in a hurry and experienced the joy of the Lord? Have you ever been rushing out of the house with 10 meetings on your schedule and things booked through for the evening and even more on on tomorrow's calendar and said, I'm just experiencing the joy of the Lord in this moment. I doubt it. Joy takes time joy and hurry cannot go together peace does peace and hurry i mean i mean do you even have to explain that one do peace and hurry go together can you be hurried and be at the same time experiencing the peace of god now there are times for hurry if my child runs out into the street and is about to get by a car i'm going to hurry yes there's a time there's a place there's a way to hurry but Can we not be moving towards an unhurried life so that we can experience love and joy and peace and insert there all of the gifts of the Spirit and compare, contrast those to the hurried, filled, rushed life? Do they flow together? Love, joy, peace, patience. I've shared this before. That was my big reveal in recent history. By the way, something in, I'm at the stage in life where something could have happened like three years ago and it's now recent to me, that's how old I am. But I remember because I'd been staring at it my whole life, my whole life I'd been staring at it and I never understood it, love is patient. What's the first descriptor of love? What's the first description of this Christian life that's supposed to be characterized by love? Love is characterized itself by patience, a patient, unhurried, unhurried generous life. Who? okay, I'm making the case for an unhurried, unrushed life. Let's tie this now to the scriptures. The scripture frames this as our invitation to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath weaves its way throughout the Bible story and into the ministry of Jesus. And it's supposed to be woven into the warp and weave of the life of faith, of the community, of the church, of the way that we do this fellowship and life and mission and Jesus together is built around Sabbath. So I'm gonna go heavy into trying to make the case from the Bible. So we're gonna start with the creation account, Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The Bible has made this creational constant of rest built into the very nature of the universe. The me that I'm supposed to be, the way that life is supposed to flow is to involve a constant reconnection with Sabbath and rest. Guess what? You already rest for one third of your life or you should be resting for one third of your life. What's it called? Sleep, yes. Have you ever went up to a baby Saw a little baby, and you're just like looked at that baby with disgust and said, "You've been sleeping all day. I, I mean, really? Like this is like like this is it? This is what you're gonna do all day? You're just gonna sl- Like like no, no. I mean, that would be like child abuse. We're like." We know that they need their sleep, their rest. We cherish it. We love it. We envy it even. We look at these children and we know that they need the rest. I'll, I'll, I'll say more about it. we need rest. But here's what the creation story is telling us: one-third isn't enough. One third of your life in rest isn't enough. You still need a whole day of rest. But it's a different kind of rest. It's an Active recovery. It's an active rest. It's an active Sabbath. I got this the more I got into my biking and athletics and races and stuff. This will happen very often, and some of you will relate if you've ever run a marathon or done a long bike race or done a you know mutter or tough mutter of those things. The day after the race, you are spent, you are exhausted. Every muscle hurts, every joint hurts. You don't feel like you have anything left in you. But what is the best thing to do on that day after? You get up and you get on your bike and you go. You go slowly, you go consistently, you don't go all up, but you need what's called an active recovery. You need to get on that bike and you need to just pedal so that blood starts to flow and that lactic acid starts to work its way out and those joints start to get lubricated again. And you go on that active recovery and then you feel incredibly restored. That's Sabbath. Sabbath is saying, I know you're sleeping. You need to go sleep about a third of your day. Just just do it. But then you need a whole other day for active recovery. You need to actively rest in me. You need to worship me. You need to pray to me. You need to sing to me. You need to eat and refresh your body with me. You need to spend some quiet. Does that make sense? Are you getting it? That's the whole invitation. The Sabbath is saying, it's not just a day of doing nothing. Now we know that, well, we're going to get into the, let me just get into the command. So. It's in the created order that we need this active rest of Sabbath in God. Then Exodus puts it this way. Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or uh, female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the command, but is it really a command? Is it really a command? Because it's so good. It's such an invitation. Think about the context of this being spoken over the people of God. They've spent over 400 years in slavery. Monday, make bricks. Tuesday, make bricks. Wednesday, make bricks. Thursday, make bricks. Friday, make bricks. Saturday, make bricks. Sunday, make bricks. Monday, it starts all over again. Literally ground down to the dust of the earth being worked to death and god commands them no god invites them stop the insanity you don't have to live that way anymore let's just make it a command so nobody has to make excuses I'm commanding you to stop working. Does that sound oppressive and awful? Uh, does that sound like a mean-spirited, awful God? I'm com- I mean, I just, it, it just always strikes me how people think of the commands of God to somehow so repressive and restrictive and somehow keeping us from the life that would be fun and exciting that we really wanna live. <laughs> He's like, just, just stop being machines because you're not. Find your rest in me. And we just, I'm not saying this now to be the mean-spirited preacher, but we hear it all the time. People will talk about, I am so busy, but it's that humble brag. I'm so busy because I'm so important and it all rises and falls on me. People gloat about not being able to sleep and getting by on four hours, as if it's some badge of honor. People will talk about, I can't remember the last time I took a vacation, Don't you secretly think I'm amazing now? No, not anymore. I'll be honest. Maybe 20 years ago, I was impressed by that. Maybe 20 years ago, I strove for that. Maybe 20 years ago, I thought, I guess that's how life's supposed to be lived. I guess I have to work all the time. I guess I have to deprive myself sleep. I guess maybe I should not take my vacations. Doesn't impress me anymore. You know what it does for me now? Makes me sad. Makes me grieve for you. Just like a father or a mother would look on their sleeping child and the last thing it would think is, wake this kid up so that they can get busy learning how to walk again or something like, no, no, no you think your father in heaven looks down on you and says, I see them filling every minute of every day. I see them losing sleep at night. I see them skipping time off and it pleases me. It grieves him. It grieves him to see his children still enslaving themselves to the pressures of the culture around us. And he's inviting us to live so differently so much better it doesn't end there got to keep going sorry there's more to say exodus 23 six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused then the poor among your people may get food from it and the wild animals may eat what is left do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove i'll say a little bit more about this but every seven years The land lays fallow, which meant the people don't work as hard, which means the people and the animals and everything around the land gets a deeper rest every seventh year. I'll come back to this, but I really like this one, picking up in verse 14. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. As I commanded you, do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in that month, you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty handed. Come celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops and sow your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field." There's others that get um, illuminated and revealed throughout the scripture. But at the foundation, there is to be three festivals, which roughly translate to three weeks of paid vacation. And you know what they did with their three weeks of paid vacation? They ate a lot of food. They ate a lot of food. They celebrated their freedom from work and their deliverance into the promised land. And they ate bread and they celebrated. And then when the first crops came in and the new wine came in, they ate and they drank and they celebrated. And then when the harvest came in finally and fulfilled, they ate more and they drank the old wine and they partied and they celebrated. If, you know, people are always talking about wanting to live a biblical Christianity. You wanna know what a biblical Christianity looks like? taking three weeks off, getting together and having a party. Oh, the church is the worst. Oh, I mean, really? (laughs) No, I, I, I mean, imagine a community of faith that would take seriously the call to celebrate and feast and festival together. I can, I can imagine a church that comes to the Christmas every year and says, let's celebrate the incarnation and the birth of Jesus. I like to imagine a church that every year comes to Easter and says, oh, let's celebrate the resurrection. I can imagine a church that every Pentecost says, oh, let's celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let's party, my people. Does that sound like a church you wanna join? Sound like a church you wanna be a part of? Required parties three times a year? Uh, Apparently not, nobody, Heather and I are gonna drink the new wine and the fat of the land. So you and me, all right. One more. We're not there yet. This is how deeply Sabbath and rest is woven in to the community of God's people. One more, one more, then a couple things. Uh, Leviticus 25, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seventh Sabbath, uh, uh, seventh Sabbath years among, amount to a period of 49 years then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout the land, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you. Guess what's happening this summer? At the end of my sabbatical, I come to the end of seven times seven. You cannot plan this stuff out. Maybe they did, maybe that's why. Maybe Kelly, maybe they prognosticated the future and looked at my life and creeped me on Facebook and they figured this stuff out. At the end of my Sabbath, I'm turning 50 years old. I'm proclaiming it the year of Jubilee. I'm taking a whole year off, people. And everybody's like, wait, what just happened there? No, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking a whole year off, but I am proclaiming it the year of Jubilee. I am proclaiming the year of rest for our church. I am proclaiming it the year of feasting and proclaiming festivals for our community of faith. I am proclaiming it the year of God's liberty, the year of God's justice, the year of living in to the way God made us to be, the year of living in to the people that God wants us to be, and that we will be a people characterized by finding our rest in Christ, Christ alone, like we just sang. Oh, does this sound, I'm trying to make the case again, does this still, does Sabbath and rest still sound like this mean-spirited, oppressive command of God? Or is it starting to sound like the most awesome invitation that you've ever heard in your life? Yes, the latter, thank you very much. (laughs) I've been so blessed by being given a sabbatical. I know you're all curious. Well, maybe some of you are curious. You're all about to hear. Um, I won't spend too much time on this. I'm walking out today and I'm stepping into a sabbatical. Oh my goodness, I've already been blessed. I've already been blessed and begin to experience the rest that comes with knowing that the church is stepping up and stepping in and that it does not rise and fall on my shoulders, but on Christ and Christ alone. So here's what I'm doing. Let me just tell you what I'm doing and I'm gonna tell you why I'm doing it and I'm gonna tell you what I hope comes out of it. Here's what I'm doing. June, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop and I'm going to decompress. Jesus, when he started his ministry, he was just about to launch into this ministry. And what did he do? Went out, he stopped. He was like, all right, let's go. And he went out to the wilderness for 40 days. I'm not gonna go for 40 days, but I'm gonna go for a couple days after I say goodbye to Eden and Thomas as they make their move back to Salt Lake. And after we see Karis move off to Hawaii, You can still change your mind, stay at home. You're always welcome, we love you, you don't have to go. Um, I really love having my kids around. And then I'm gonna go and I'm gonna spend some quiet and silence and solitude. There'll be no phone, there'll be no, lap. it's gonna be me and a dog and a couple books and the rhythm of the sun rising and the sun setting. That's gonna be it. And I'm gonna spend some time decompressing. There's gonna be some other things happen in June. And then I'm gonna be traveling. I'm gonna literally be going east coast to west coast to uh, an island off the coast of uh, Canada called Gabriola Island where my brother-in-law lives now because he's crazy I guess and then all the way to Hawaii so coast to coast and off the coast to Hawaii and then in August I'll be settling back in and kind of recompressing if you think about the scuba diving analogy you can't just dive and you can't just come right back up so I'm going to spend some time diving I'm going to spend some time in the deep with God I pray and then I'm going to spend some time coming back up and getting ready to get back to work as the summer comes to an end. Now, here's what I'm hoping happens during that time together, or time for me. Our mission here is, of course, to help you connect with your calling because we believe God calls all of us to know him and love him, to be known and loved by him, and to do something amazing in God's creation for his glory and for the kingdom of God. And we believe fully in that calling on every man, woman, and child made in his image. But my life is more than just that calling to be the pastor of this church. I'm also called to be first and foremost, known and loved by my savior. So number one for me is just as the Bible puts it, I said this last week to reconnect with my first love. And my first love is Jesus, my Lord and savior. So I'm just gonna spend deep time in the word in solitude, in silence, in prayer, in reading, in reflection with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's what I wanna say about that. So here's like a little insight to the pastor's life. Um, Everybody has things that come with their work, like the big thing, the thing that if they don't do it well, like they're not gonna have their job much longer. You know, we all have some things that come with it. The thing that comes with being a preacher is guess what? Big reveal here. The thing that comes with being a preacher is Preaching, thank you. All right, one person still with me. The thing that comes with being a preacher is definitely preaching. As much as I try to balance my life and do other things, and there's pastoring, and there's leading, and there's caring, and there's administration, you know, I get done with Sunday, and I wake up Monday morning, and Sunday's right on the horizon again. And I try not to dwell on it. I try not to live in it. But you're always reading everything through. Oh, that's a good illustration. Oh, that's a good take on that. Oh, that's a nice anecdote, I'll work that in. Like you're always living with that. I get to turn that off. I don't even know what that's like anymore. I've been doing this for 20 years. I have no idea what it's like to turn Sunday off. I'm just turning it off for three months. So, so I'm turning it off. I'm gonna be with Jesus, I'm gonna love him. The other thing, I'm, so I'm called to be known and loved by Jesus and I'm gonna lean deeply into that. I'm called to be a husband, Robin and I, we just celebrated 25 years together. Um, we're about to be empty. Thank you, thank you. We're about to be empty nesters. Don't clap for that. That's the part I don't celebrate and I don't like. Um, um, but we're gonna just discover us in this next stage of our life. What's it like after 25 years of marriage and as our kids have now moved into adulthood? I'm still called to be a dad and I wanna get to know my kids in there being adults. And the men, the man and the women that God created them to be Eden and Thomas and Karis there. Justin's at a bike race, pray for him. He's literally flying down a hill in Grand Junction at 50 miles an hour, probably right now. Pray for him. Um, I'm gonna get to know my kids and who they are and who God is making them to be. I'm gonna be visiting family, moms, dad, brothers, sisters. Aunts. I mean, it's gonna be crazy, crazy family time. And I'm going to be getting to know me. And as hippy-dippy and corny as that sounds, I'm gonna just spend some time just being like, who is George? at 50 years old now, because that guy sounds really old. (laughs) But I hope he's also really mature. And I hope he's really grounded. And I hope he's really confident in his calling. And I hope he's more generous. And I hope he's kind. And I hope he's great. I'm gonna get to know me again. And then here's the outcomes. Here's the outcomes, they're really simple. Let me just break it down to this and then we're gonna wrap this puppy up. As I reconnect with my first love, what I want the outcome for me to simply be this? If I could phrase it any one way according to the Bible, it's from Psalm 23, what I, which I love so much, my cup runneth over. I hope to come with a cup to be a vessel, to be a man of God whose cup runneth over that the spirit has poured so much into me that I come back and I am like walking on water and I'm touching people and they're getting healed and I'm picking up glasses of water and they turn into wine and there's nothing left at the picnic and I take a hot dog and it multiplies to 50. I, you know, I, you know, I just wanna be so filled with the spirit of God that my cup will runneth over and that you will allow me the blessing of pouring it into all of you. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And here's what I pray will happen for you over the next three months. First, I pray simply that you will all experience your own sabbatical. Maybe you can grab a week. Maybe you can grab two weeks. Maybe you can grab a month. Maybe you can just go and quit right now and take the whole summer off with me. (laughs) I don't know. I hope you get some Sabbath. I hope you get some rest. I hope you eliminate some of the hurry from your life so you can connect deeply with God and others and find yourself and your calling in a fresh new way. I really want that for you. But also on top of that, what really excites me as a pastor and a part of the body of Christ here is that you're going to discover in wonderful ways how good you are at leading the church and doing ministry. You're going to find that you're better than me, actually, at a lot of things. <laughs> you're going to find that there are some amazing preachers and speakers out there. You're going to find that there's some great pastors who have wonderful shepherd's heart out there. You're going to find that there's some wonderful communicators who can let you know what's going on with the life of the church. You're going to find that there's some people really good at administrating, getting things good together and making things happen. You're going to find that there's a lot of outreach and ministry in this community that can happen without me. And you are going to be a part of the body of Christ in ways that you don't even know how to ask or dream or imagine right now. But I'm gonna come back to a more mature and godly and amazing church. And I really believe that. I really believe that God can bless this time for me and he can bless this church and we can all be better together. I wanna end then with this story Story familiar for a lot of us. Luke chapter 10.